everyone. I'm Trisha Gelman, and I am the CMO of Drift. Welcome back to CMO Conversations. In today's episode, I have Jennifer Johnson, aka JJ, the CMO of Amplitude. In today's show, we're talking about category creation, which JJ would say is her jam. By that, I mean she's done it a million times. She's known for it across the globe. She even worked with the people from Play Bigger, which is, you know, the book you can read about what you should do if you want to create a category. In this episode, we talk about what is a category? Should you create a category? Why should you create a category? What are the components of creating a category? And what is the hard work you're going to need to do as a marketing leader if you set out to create a category? JJ has so much great advice to share on this topic. Let's jump in. Let me introduce you to JJ. JJ, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Thank you for having me, and hello. I'm really excited today. So I'm JJ Jennifer Johnson, but most people actually know me as JJ, so we can just call me JJ. I am a four-time chief marketing officer in enterprise software. Most currently, I, I joined Amplitude back in October, and I know we're talking about category design today, so I'm really excited to talk through my journeys at this point on, on category design, but I love anything that has to do with CMO conversations. It's a topic that I am very passionate about. So thank you for having me. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, I started this podcast because I saw that the landscape for marketers is changing a lot. And I thought by talking to CMOs, we could cover all the different things that are happening. Some people are a little bit more into metrics and analytics and tech stack. Some people are more into people and what does it take in terms of mental health and motivating your team. And today we're really going to talk a lot about category creation because that's sort of your jam. But let's anchor ourselves in the definition of category creation. When you say category creation, what is it that you really mean by category creation? Yeah. So the most classic external definition is you are creating a market category. And what does that mean? That means that any company, especially us that live in the more of the startup land or more disruptive companies, we're disrupting something. We're disrupting an incumbent market. We're disrupting an an incumbent vendor. Maybe we're disrupting an incumbent way of doing nothing or something. You're always disrupting something. So category design is really carving out that place in the world of how you are different. The problem that you're solving and why you are doing something different that will change the way that people work or live. Now, that is the scientific external definition of what category design is. The art of category design is the internal piece, which is what people don't really think about, but what it actually is internally, it's a decision-making framework. So any of us that have been in C-suite executive roles, we know that getting everyone in the executive team rowing in the same direction and aligned, and there's usually, if there's six people around the table, there's six very strong opinions and they probably don't always align. And so what category design actually does is put the company and the leadership team on a set of decisions to make about who the company is, what the vision is going forward. It helps provide a framework and a container for product and partnership strategy, corporate development strategy. It really is a driving force. So I always say the the science is, it's not easy. The science and the art, neither are easy, but the art is actually the beauty of it because we all know what happens when you get the company and the entire executive team aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's when the magic happens. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the point about the alignment is really, really key because I think a lot of people think category creation is just a few words and then you can have product marketers or your brand team or whoever that is come up with those words. But I think that's what we want to get into sort of right away. There's the process of aligning the team around the category. What are those words? Why are they the words? Who are you going after, et cetera? That's the category design. And then there is the sort of actual category building work, right? Like you don't have a category if you're just on your own. Right. We can all fly our own individual flags. That's nice. But like you kind of need to have a bunch of other people in a category. By definition, it's not a category if you're just hanging out on your own. And so I wanted to kind of hear from you. Like, do you have a checklist for each of these? And I think we've talked on the show a little bit with some other people about like designing a category and coming up with the messaging and positioning. But you know, one thing I've seen because we did in July, August timeframe come up with a new category is there's a lot of work for building and sort of recruiting the market into the category. So maybe if you have a checklist for that or you could comment on what it takes. Yeah. So the reason that the CMO is usually the the quarterback, so to speak, of category design is because it is something that touches every function across the company. And marketing is usually that I call that that hub central organization point. It also has a very direct tie into the company narrative, because if you think about the initial building of the category, the core deliverables are the point of view, really, that is your narrative as a company. It is who you are, what you stand for, what problem you're solving, your answer to it, all of that. And that really becomes your company story. So the beginning phases of category design, it does look more like branding because it is, because you're actually redefining who you are and as a company. But it's not just the point of view. There's usually a what we call a blueprint. And that blueprint is effectively the architecture of your category, to, to use a term I know we're all very familiar with. It's really the visual representation of all of the inputs and outputs and your partnership ecosystem and your product capabilities and the how data and products work together and data flows. It's the visual representation of how your category becomes real. And that truly is a partnership with marketing and the product organization because you want to make sure that you're building a blueprint that is reflective of the product today and also where the product is going tomorrow. It's flexible that you can grow into it over time. And then the third component, which is part of that blueprint, is the ecosystem. And sometimes people forget about that, but it's really important because no single company can build a category on their own. There needs to be other companies that are part of it, but also there needs to be a partner ecosystem around it. So the partners that you decide to go to market with and why, whether they're solution partners or technology integration partners or, or the like, that actually is the category actually helps prioritize who you're going to go to, to market with. And if you're at a point where you're going to do M&A, corporate development, right, this also can provide a structure for that. So these core deliverables are kind of the the checklist of building and launching. But then I always say, <laughs> I think I think as marketers or even as companies, we think, well, marketing is launching it like you would launch a campaign, which has kind of a finite start and stop date and or launching a product, which is a big moment in time. And then obviously you continue to, to do demand around it, but like there's a moment in time of a launch. And the category cannot be looked at as a moment in time because if that moment in time, if people view it as a moment in time, then it's going to be the marketer who's like on the top of the mountain with the flag and everybody else is going to be moved on to the next thing and it will become 
just a branding exercise and just a campaign. So I think it's important to understand that the beginning does look more like a branding exercise because in a lot of ways it is, but it has to evolve from that into your strategy. So if you think about like having a conversation with the market, which that is part of our job as marketers, it creates a framework for every time you launch a product, every time you go to market with a new partnership, every time you decide to acquire a company, every time you do anything in your business, it doesn't have to necessarily be product related. It kind of should flow into this notion of the category. Yeah. And I think that goes back to the messaging hierarchy, right? I think there's a architecture, but there's also a key messaging hierarchy. And that's one of the things we've seen with the launch of our new category in the summer is how does this fit into the category as we talk about launching this new product or as we talk about this new campaign and making sure everything always ladders up? Yeah. And I think one other point I would make on like, how do you know it's being successful? And is there a checklist? You also have to understand all the key stakeholders. So you have a motion with press. You have a motion with analysts. Look, I know we'll get to that in a minute. You have a motion with customers and partners. You might have a motion with investors if you're pre-IPO or a public company. And you have to understand what you're trying to do with each of those stakeholders. And like take customers as an example. You're moving them from the current way to the new way. That could be moving them off of their existing technology. That could be giving them a new skill. It could actually be creating a new organization, like a new function in the organization or some organizational shift. A lot of, When you see like the rise of a new role, that usually means there's a category somewhere around it or that's driving it. And so I think it's about understanding how do you move customers, but it's not just about moving customers by bringing them technology. It's actually giving them a whole new career path. And the best categories are the ones that elevate the strategic importance of the role and and what they're doing. Like look at marketing automation and the rise of marketing operations and the demand generation revenue-minded CMOs that came out of that whole notion of category design. Like that is a prime example of elevating the role of the CMO and a whole new rise of the new type of CNO, CMO being revenue-minded back when Eloqua and Marketo were just building their groundswell. What was that? I don't even know, how, like what, a decade or more ago at this point? Yeah, I don't know. It makes me feel old. <laughs> I know. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I also think like a good point about this is like, it's not a one-time thing. Like if we look at Drift, for example, you know, Drift started and really out the gate said, we're going to create a new category. And so conversational marketing was born. And if you look at what conversational marketing was six years ago compared to now, we're actually in the process of going back and looking at the book that we published on conversational marketing and deciding, do we need to refresh and do a version two of the book? Or do we just do an intro chapter that explains what's happened, you know, in the market since this started because what we anticipated conversational marketing being, which was more about leads and kind of playing off of marketing automation in that category, is kind of not where marketers are anymore. And now we're into this new thing, which is revenue. And so we've built a bigger category, which includes conversational marketing, but it's now, you know, like you said, elevating the CMO to be about revenue and actually being together with revenue with like the rest of the C-suite in terms of product sales service and marketing. Absolutely. Well, so you said, so there's two things is what I'd say is you're an act two of your category design journey. So that's one thing is that you don't, you can't just like drop the category and then forget about it. Like one of the things is, is with everything you have to continually assess and reassess. And as new entrants come into your category, you don't know necessarily, you can have a hypothesis of what direction it's going to take, but you don't really know until it's happening. But I think the key is 
like evaluating and adjusting and adapting. And I'd say what's so great about what you're doing is you're now you're supersizing your initial category with your new category, which builds on that, which is brilliant, right? So continually staying Yeah, well, because to your point, ahead. right? To your point, we said that we all these people came into the category, which is awesome because we have a big category, over 100 people there now. But I mean, companies, not people. But, but then the way it's now positioned is not exactly where we would want to have taken it because it's kind of, you know, a group of people now all participating. And so we decided we couldn't really co-opt our initial category to talk about what we wanted and we therefore need to supersize. Yep. You're on the right path. And I'd say most companies that are building categories don't even get to the point that you're at. So bravo to you, to you and to the company for even getting to this yeah, point because I mean, most even the don't. The team's done an amazing job. I mean, I've only been here a little over a year and I came into this like great category creation already. So big shoes to fill. And we can talk about that later in terms of like the role of the CMO. It's like so many different things to do. But I could have come into this role and said, oh, we already have this one category. We'll just kind of go along with the path. Like, you know, it's fine to not be talking about something that's its own category anymore. What's your perspective on whether you need to actually create a category? Like, is it the answer? So many people think it's like a cool buzzword, but is it the answer or is it better? Like I know some companies who like their whole mantra is to just unseed a company that's already like created a category and is a leader in the category. It's almost like the Avis to Hertz strategy, right? Like don't be number one, but like go in there and have a very differentiated message to just own number yeah. two. And, and look, Obviously, category design has always been important, but it's got a lot of buzz, I think, in the last 10 years. And really, what's driving it is not just the book that Playbigger wrote, but also like CEOs and boards understand that you need to have a differentiated point of view and a differentiated message because we've all seen those market maps where there's like literally like a thousand logos in it. And if you don't position yourself and you're going to get positioned in a, in a box that somebody else owns. And so there's a whole host of reasons why category design is a good thing. But I will also say that is category design right for every company? No, it, and I will not because it's not important, but it's because you have to also be ready to do it. So the exercise of having a differentiated point of view and, and message and all of that, like every company needs to do that. So no matter what, whether you have a category or not, you need to have a point of view and you need to be solving a problem and you need to be solving it in a different way. Like that's just, I think, table stakes for any high growth disruptive company out there. Is category design right? Well, the point of view will feed the category, but you don't necessarily need to go out with the full category on day one because you also need to recognize the company's ability to drive change. And that's both internal and external, right? You have to be ready to do it internally and you have to have support from the CEO and the entire leadership all the way down. And if there is resistance that comes up because it's change management for a company. And if resistance comes up, there has to be a way to get past it or it will not be successful. And then I think there's also like the ability to drive change externally. Your ability to, de to de define and build a category is directly correlated to your ability to drive change in the market. And, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons why smaller startup companies would want to do this, enter the market in the right way. The flip side of that though is, do they have enough brand equity? Do they have enough of the juice to actually get it going? So I think you can make a case either way, right? Big company or small company and what's the right time. I think a lot of it is just dependent on the company and where they're at. Yeah, and I think it's only become harder, honestly, because the market is so noisy now, especially with people working from home or some people going to work, some people going to home. I mean, there's just so many new pieces of competition for people's time and, and mind share that like you really have to be purposeful. And I think like a good point for you is that 
if you're a really small startup, then potentially you don't have the funding and you don't have the resources to even go do the work to create the category in the market, in which case, like, you know, you, you don't need to push the envelope. Yep. Have a differentiated point of view, period. And then if you have the infrastructure and resources and the desire in the company to go drive a bigger category, go do it. Right. And that's what I would say to, to everyone. It's not for it's not for everyone. That doesn't mean it's not important, but it's not for everyone. Yeah, I think, you know, in in building the category and having the right resources, being able to drive the change is also about influencing others and sort of creating a bigger set of noise than you yourself can create, right? Like when Drift six years ago was just starting out, they weren't that big, right? They fit into this category of being small, like really not having that many people, et cetera, but they're able to make a lot of noise by kind of co-opting a lot of other people from other categories or third parties. And so maybe something to talk about now would be like, who are some of the key third parties and analysts come to mind or that you think, you know, are important in category creation? Yeah. I mean, I think if you look like clearly get your, get some of your forward leaning, innovative customers, we all have them, right? Like our customers kind of all sit on the different ends of the spectrum, but everyone has those like very innovative forward leaning customers, whatever market you're in, lean on them to help you drive it because it's a lot of social proof, right? Like people want to do what others are doing in their peer group. So you say, find those customers Partners too, find those innovative forward-leaning partners that are going to help you break into a new market, for example, and and really lean on them. The analysts, so <laughs> it's, I laugh because this is always like the, the million dollar question, right? And so it goes back to a point you made at the very beginning. When I was at Andreessen Horowitz, there was a, a presentation by a Gartner Research VP, and he had this slide, I will never forget it. It says, why your new category isn't. And it was this whole thing about like, we as companies we're so disruptive, we don't fit into any one magic quadrant, which is like every company that's dif- that's disruptive is going to say that because it's actually true, right? Like you don't fit into one box neatly. And so you need to, you know, you need to create your own box, your own MQ, right? And so people just assume, oh, go to the analysts and they'll go build the category. Well, the way that analysts work, if we know anything about working with analysts is they track markets when they are markets. When they have multiple companies in them, they're not going to create a magic quadrant with one, one company in it. So they track a market when it's actually an established market. And by then someone else has set the agenda if it's not you. So there's a little bit of philosophical misalignment. Now, I'm not at all saying that analysts are not good. I'm not saying that you shouldn't work with them. They're very important for many, many reasons. But when it comes to category design, I think having a real strategy around what you're trying to do with the analyst is really important because usually you have some core market that that's your anchor core and then you're building a superset on top of it. That's like a very natural motion. The analysts will probably most likely be covering your core market. That's probably nine times out of 10. They're going to have some coverage on your core, whether it's an MQ or not, right? Um, you want to make sure that you have leadership in that core market because in, in most cases, having leadership in that core market is the reason you can go chart the bigger category. So you want to make sure that you understand how to work with your analysts to make sure you have leadership in your core market. And then usually what happens is when you build a bigger category, you might be in you know part of one MQ and part of another MQ and part of another MQ or a wave if it's Forrester, right? That's usually what happens. And so you have to be really thoughtful because you could spend all of your time just doing analyst briefings. So you have to be really thoughtful about how what you're trying to achieve with all those different markets. And do you really want to be in them as a core or do you want to just be a mention <laughs> in one of them? So you need to have a strategy. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's what happened with us. And I, I would say 
it is really frustrating, like being a CMO, trying to work with the analyst when there isn't a magic quadrant. And especially if you're trying to sell a market into the enterprise, you know, the power of being the leader in the top right corner of the MQ and how that helps to unlock revenue and everything else. But I mean, it is this dance. And I think like at Drift, we've definitely tried in previous companies as well. Like we've been a little bit ahead of like an MQ or anything, but I think it's always useful to talk to the analysts to get their perspectives on what they're hearing from their clients and the market that you're selling into because they can really expose blind spots for you of what you think is this amazing new messaging and category and really their perception of whether the customers care for it or not. Yep, that's totally true. And I mean, validating your category with the analysts, I think there's the, the the school of thought of, well, we're doing something that's ahead of where they're at. They're looking in the rearview mirror, so why get their feedback? But there's another school of thought of they can actually be a good validation source for you. And just as an analyst likes to have feedback into a product roadmap, they like to have feedback into your narrative as well. And so there's value in that. You know, I think, you know, also like, where you go into the MQ, it's like this big debate, right? Everyone wants to be in the top right. And if you listen to an analyst, they'll tell you, well, every quadrant is good because each one means something different. And we don't mean that one is better than the other, but we all know how how it's been interpreted is that if you're in the top right, you're the leader. I also think the visionary, like it's great to be the visionary. So that's not a bad outcome if you are creating a new category because it's basically validating that you're thinking about it differently. The third thing I'd say is have your customers put inquiries into the analysts because they don't like to be flat-footed. And if they start getting inquiries on something new from their end users, which are your customers, they're going to start paying more attention. So you can continue to educate the analysts, but actually what I found actually as effective is having your customers start lobbing inquiries in and, and, and doing it from both directions. So, Yeah, I love that. One of the things that we hadn't talked about this before, but as we talk through it, I wonder, are there specific roles in the marketing organization that you think are critical to do all of this work, whether it's category design or the actual creation out in the market? Because yes, if you're going to do three to five magic quadrants, I would say I need like a massive product marketing organization to go work with the analysts all the time. But like, what's your perspective on the roles within the team that you really need to like have as like A players? So every every team, and I think of the marketing organization as like is the three legged stool of communications, demand gen, and product marketing. So I'm going to simplify it, right? And if I looked at those three, they all play a role. If I were to say, probably the most critical one for both building and developing it is product marketing, because you need to translate the category messaging and positioning down to the product messaging and positioning, and so you you have to have that translation point. So product marketing needs to be able to catch it and actually then translate it into product marketing. So that's key. And I always put analyst relations in product marketing as well. So I know some, you know, it comes as a, is a common place for it, but I, I keep it as close to product as possible. And so, I mean, those are two reasons why having product marketing is probably, I'd say number one. I'd say comms is number two because you can utilize strategic communications as a way to continue to develop your category. That's it's kind of the air cover of the category development. And then I'd say demand gen third, not because it's not relevant, but because I think of category as the umbrella 
vision. And I think of demand gen and campaigns and field marketing as in digital as more of the ground war. And so you sometimes have to kind of bring it down one level. If the category is really like at the top level, then what are the like, what are the initiatives, the solutions underneath them that might be like budgeted projects, things that like the specific personas care about, speaking to an, like a specific problem for that persona. And that's really where you want to probably build a lot of your demand gen around it. But the category is really the vision umbrella that that covers it all. So yeah. Awesome. It's great to talk to you about category creation. I mean, we've had other guests, but I think everyone brings like different inputs. Like our previous guest was much more like tried and true product marketing leader, um, now CMO, but really came up from product marketing. And so their perspective is much more on that sort of messaging and how you use it and structure it. How did you become so passionate about category creation? And with that, how did you get involved with the Play Bigger crew? Yeah. So I'm actually also a product marketer turned CMO. And I think that product marketing skills that you gain on positioning and understanding the competitive landscape and understanding the product, like all those things actually do you well when you're thinking about category design, because a lot of it is strategic positioning. And so it kind of just was like, I just naturally gravitated towards it from that perspective because of my, like where I grew up, so to speak, Uh, how I got to know Play Bigger. So I think I was a campaign manager at Mercury Interactive in like the early 2000s. And my CMO there was Christopher Lockhead, who is one of the authors of the book. And that now is a is a multi book author and a podcaster and talks about category design a lot and so yeah, I got a chance. At, um, oh yeah, he's yeah great. we've had him. He's hyper growth. He's spoken like he's definitely a friendly of ours. Yep, he's awesome. And uh, so yeah, I learned I learned category design for the first time in Mercury working for him, and then I got reintroduced to play bigger again as a CMO between uh, one role and the next. And I worked with them as play bigger. And then one of my other very dear friends, uh, Dave Peterson, uh, who is play bigger and now the CMO of, of Salonis was play bigger at the time. And I, I worked with them on a couple of category design engagements. And then I went into Tenable before my current role. And then I did category design for Tenable. And it was the story that we we eventually went public around. And, and so I won't say that I'm doing it now for Amplitude, but you can probably guess. <laughs> you can probably <laughs> guess what I'm working you go on. <laughs> is, yeah, I think anywhere you go, there's some amount of category creation going on. Because yeah. if not, um, I don't know, maybe you have like a second career, you're going to go off and, you know. It's, it's a pretty good assumption at this point. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So let's say that you have launched your category. What would you tell people is like their best action plan once they've launched their category? Yeah, so I think it's like, taking stock of, I go through each stakeholder, press, analysts, customers, partners, and investors. And I look at kind of where the current perception is of your company, of your category, of what the status quo is, and how attached each one is to it. And so that might look differently. So like for press, it might be like, what are they writing about? For analysts, it's how they're tracking the market. For customers, it's what technology or what, you know, what's their current process of of how they do things to solve the problem. And then you look at where they're at, and where you want them to be, which is your category. And in some cases, it might be a short jump to get from old to new. In some cases, it might be a really big jump to get from old to new. And then you build a roadmap for it. And that's how I think it's actually like a great way to frame your marketing strategy. Because really, if you think about like, we call them lightning strikes in the play bigger model. And it's like once a year, twice a year, whatever that is, right? It's it's where you go out and every message is, is revolving around your category. But really what it's doing is it's moving one or more stakeholders like from old to new and getting them a little bit closer. So once you have like that framing and you know, then you can actually start to map out your marketing strategy and your launch strategy 
and your campaign strategy around like having one or two lightning strikes a year and what those look like. It actually like, it helps just put a lot of things I think in perspective. So I like framing and frameworks and things like that. And category design actually does give you a framework. So building out, and then you can build out like really a three-year roadmap. So if you know what the category is, you actually know what is going to layer in over time because you can't do everything on day one. And like you wrote a book, for example, right? Uh, And so like that could be like, that's a lightning strike right there. Like you're writing a book on your category and like that doesn't happen necessarily the day you launch the category, but you know, like you're like, okay, we're going to do this and then we're going to do this and then we're going to write a book and like you kind of lay everything out. So it's just a nice way to think about things. Yeah, I love that. And I love, I mean, I think this is, a great episode because we have CMOs who like just are thinking about how do they think about their business and what they're doing. And then we have a lot of um, listeners who are people that would like to be CMOs sometime, you know, up in their career, whether it's now in the next year in five years. And I think this episode has really been great and revealing in terms of not just like the words, but what's behind the words and what does it take to be successful? Um, We're running out of time on this episode. And so I want to wrap up with my signature question, which is a lesson, but I know we're going to like do a short second episode. So I want to have this lesson be about category creation. So if you think back on your career, what's one lesson you would share with people relative to, you know, your interest in category creation? Get alignment. Make sure you get alignment. And it's tough, but I swear it's much less painful when you get alignment and kind of get over conflict or any humps you like in the, you know, any like, you know, potholes in the road early on because it becomes exponentially more difficult to get past them the further along you get. So go through the Go, go through it at the beginning. It'll be painful for a little while, but you'll come out much better on the other side. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Jennifer Johnson, aka JJ. We're going to wrap this episode here. There's so much to talk about that we'll be back in two weeks with JJ, where we talk about the ever-evolving role of the CMO. If you love this episode, please go to wherever it is that you get your podcasts and give us a six-star review. If you're really passionate about CMO content, then check out my newsletter. I release it every other week. And until the next episode, have a great week, and I look forward to talking to you again soon.